Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Okay, Dr. Mandy Crow, uh, welcome to the Asking Why podcast, episode 24. Thanks, Clint. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Glad to have you. So for those listening, uh, Dr. Crow is part of our integrated wellness team. And so kind of today, the goal of the podcast is to talk about what she does, um, to talk about kind of what services she provides to our community, but also just talk about medication and mental health and, and how all this stuff plays together so that the average person who's out there Maybe they're not happy with their doctor. Maybe they're not happy with their insurance. Maybe they need something special. Um, and so we're going to talk about some different options that people can get um, with direct primary care and um, kind of what she's offering for our services. So that's the goal of the podcast. Um, so part of our integrative wellness goal at Clint Davis Counseling is to have um, doctors and chiropractors um, and different providers who, who, ha- who are on our team who we can refer people to that we know are also going to be looking out for our mental health issues. So if you go to Dr. Crow, for example, she's going to be thinking, Oh, this lady had a miscarriage or this person has this issue. And Hey, I know that they're seeing Clint or they're seeing somebody at the practice. So I'm going to incorporate that into what we're doing. And so we've had Dr. Jen on here and some of the other integrative wellness partners. So today we're just going to have you on here and talk about what you do and who you are. So cool. Glad to have you tell me. um, And for those listening, Kind of your story, um, where you're from, and then what led you into being a doctor. And Okay. Um, well, I consider myself a small-town girl. I'm from Benton, Louisiana, so haven't strayed very far from right. the area. <laughs> over the river, which, yeah, yeah. you know, growing up, you're like, oh, you know, you don't go over the river very much. <laughs> go to the big town of Shreveport, yeah. Um, but I found my way to the side of the river, so that's cool. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up in the benton Bozier area and was point guard for airline high school and played basketball all my life nice um and then i went to louisiana tech for college okay which i absolutely loved and um you know always joke kind of just far enough to have some autonomy and feel like you're making your own decisions but close enough when i needed my mama (laughs) (laughs) or my grandmother or you know i could come on home for the day or whatever and so that was a very nice um balance there um, and that's where I met my husband, Kelly, and we've been married for 15 years. Nice. And, um, so right after college, I was thinking this morning, I told him, I said, I think sometimes, you know, you forget where you've been. Yeah. Um, you get into the grind of raising kids and a career and you kind of forget, wow. Um, you know, I don't, we had no clue what we were getting into. We got married a month before I started med school and <laughs> man, uh, you know, starting out a marriage and med school at the same time was very challenging. And Absolutely. What made you want to go to med school? Like, what did you do your undergrad in? 
So I started out in business, uh-huh. um, and I wonder too if that kind of how I yeah. eventually ended up uh, owning my own business, which I never thought I would. But um, I started out in business, and I started taking um, you know the required biology courses and everything like that, and I just loved biology. Mm. And a couple of the professors over there I really liked, so I just started to get pulled into that field. And always, you know, I, I knew I wanted to help people, and um, so those two kind of just mesh well together, the learning the systems and the body and biology and wanting to help people. So it just kind of pulled me in the, that direction. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a, a lifelong goal. I don't come from a family of doctors or anything like that. It yeah. just kind of um, came about by taking different classes and things like that. So at that point, were you already a Christian? Kind of what, how did that all work out? Yeah, so I, I was raised um, in the church, a little Methodist church in, in Benton, yeah. and um, had been baptized as a baby and always been a Christian. I think, um, you know, it's one thing to kind of just accept what your parents teach you and another to, to learn it on your own. And mm-hmm. so I think that happened probably after college. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably took a... a not a step back, but you know, when I would come home, I would go to church, but I, I was not, it wasn't your faith. It, yeah. It wasn't my faith and I wasn't completely involved in college like I should have been or, um, <laughs> that's most of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, always having that presence there and having that relationship, but definitely wasn't, um, deep and I had not learned on my own and formed that like I have since I've started my own family and kind right. of grown in that direction. So, Okay, so then, so college, you're doing that, love biology, and then you switched and just decided to go to med school. Yeah. Because um, you just decided to do that. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, you know, trying to get in is a whole other thing, and then you start taking all the courses and all the MCATs and mm-hmm. uh, trying to decide what you're going to do. And, um, and what's Kelly do? He is um, in construction, construction gotcha. management. So was he doing that then, or was he in school too? Or He was still in school, and he had just graduated probably six months before I did. Um, he was living in Dallas, and we were kind of long-term relationship, I mean long-distance relationship, and um, trying to figure all that out. And then he, I, you know, we had talked about it some, but then surprised me and asked me to marry him, and nice. <laughs> the rest is history there. Um so yeah, it was trying to make all those choices and transitions at one time. I regret not having a closer relationship with God because I think, you know, having his guidance and his hand mm-hmm. more in it, I think probably would have, you know, maybe not made things smoother, but been more at peace with some of the things that were going on. But um, I think, you know, he definitely was there and helped guide me into the path that I needed to be on, yeah. whether it was in a roundabout way or not. So you decided to do family medicine? Is that, what did you go into med school for? Like, I don't know anything about it, so how does that work? Well, so some of the reasons I chose that path too were, and we'll get into some of the mental health aspects. So some family history that I had really made me want to go possibly do psychiatry. And then I struggled big time with acne my whole life growing Mm. up. Um, So I thought, oh yeah, you know, I really want to go into dermatology. So there was all these different interests there. but when you go into med school, you know, you don't, it's getting better or it's changing where you do see patients earlier, but it's a lot of book, book work in the yeah. beginning. Um, so you just learn about 
all fields, everything, every system, physiology, you know, how the body works, how it gets diseased, and um, you're in the books in the beginning. So it's not till third year that you really start to do clinicals and start to see and interact with patients, which it may be different. I've been out a few, yeah, yeah. <laughs> few years now. Things change. Um, but that's not that long ago. Right? No. Yeah. No. I mean, You've been, been out a little bit, but it's still not that long ago. Right. Long. And um, so that's when you start to dabble in the different fields and try to learn, you know, what is the right fit. And I think I just liked so many different things that, and I, you know, was a people person and felt like, you know, one-on-one with individuals. So mm-hmm. family medicine just kind of felt like the right fit. And you decide that probably your late third year, early fourth year, um, what field you want to go into. And so, and then, if, you know, to, to be a dermatologist, you got to be in the top, you know, one or two of your class. <laughs> and I wasn't there. So. <laughs> <laughs> kind of ruled that out. Like, well, I'll, I'll do it in the family practice style. Yeah, um, for sure. So, yeah, I'm able to incorporate mental health, you know, all these things that interest me um, into one field. So, yeah. It was cool how it ended up that way. And so you graduated, and then what happened? Well, so I had a baby my third—I was pregnant my third year, had oh, a baby man. my fourth year in med school, um, which was another one of those decisions, you know, you just make blindly. Um, gosh, you don't know what you're getting into. Like, let's just have a baby. Okay. Yeah, yeah it'll make everything easier and better. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, cannot state enough the— support from my family and friends and Kelly's parents came and lived in our driveway in an RV for oh, wow. a couple months and um to help us cuz I mean I was studying all the time and he was working and um so it was pretty crazy um I remember many uh you know 4 a.m. on trauma surgery with a big old belly running up and down the stairwells and holding traction and surgeries for 8 hours I mean it was it was pretty crazy yeah um it's intense and then graduated and and one one other thing I will say about Kelly is um the support he had through my whole med school and friends and everything but without him I would not have made it I mean there was many a times that I just okay Kelly you know I don't I can't do this um I've got to quit and Mm -hmm. and he would be like okay let's figure out how to you know how to do that or you know what do you need it was never a pressure or a you know a disappointment and I think that just kind of gave me the okay all right well I don't have to but I really want to do this yeah, and yeah. Um, just gave me the confidence to to get through so I, that's awesome I thank him a lot for that I don't shout tell out, him enough shout yeah. out to Kelly and does a great job during that school. yeah for sure especially you know working and having a baby and trying to figure all that out I can I can I can see where under pressure you want to just bail and you know that seemingly will make everything better Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think we've all been there before. You yeah, know, you get exactly. under the pressure cooker and you're just like, I got to make a decision. So all this is better, but really it might not necessarily make it all better. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So graduated and then um, we headed down to Lake Charles. That's where I did my residency. Okay. And um, that's where Kelly's from and all his family was. Ah, and okay. So we have a, a pattern of being around family. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Because we definitely, um, you know, we thrive off that support and those relationships. Mm -hmm. So um, headed down there and uh, met a ton of great people and had great faculty and just really enjoyed um, 
residency and doing some real world, you know, medicine and it was yeah. a community based hospital. So we kind of, what was it? What hospital? Um, Put you on the spot. Oh my gosh. I just blanked Memorial. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Memorial hospital in Lake yeah. Charles. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So we were kind of the main residency there. And so we saw everything that walked through the door and just got a lot of different experiences and, um, was able to get a real well-rounded um, experience there instead of just, you know, having all these other residencies around that yeah. took the neurosurgery cases or the um, heart attacks or that sort of thing. We saw everything. So. Yeah. And so your, your daughter, right? You have the, your oldest is a girl or your, uh, so my oldest is a boy. Boy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Aiden. That's He's right. Like, uh, just turned 12. And then I had Caroline, while I was in Lake Charles. Okay. So. Yeah, I was trying to do the math and yeah. figure out when, when that was. Um, second or third year down there. I can't remember what year um, we had her. And then um, finished up there and came back Yeah. Um, to this area. Um, and so trying to decide, you know, where to end up, that was very difficult because we had pool down there. And, you know, we wanted to stay in Lake Charles. But also there was a, gr- a lot of great opportunities here in Treeport. And so wanted to kind of test everything out interviewed at a lot of places and just kind of felt a draw to come back to this area mm-hmm. and be with family up here and really clicked with the group that I started with no more is that up? that was at um with Dr. Flake Dr. Self Dr. Moses and Dr. Carr okay um here at a hospital system nice and um so yeah you just kind of hit the ground running it's um it's pretty crazy you don't get a lot of real world um, clinic clinic advice or how to run a clinic or I mean you're in with all these other doctors in residency and you have a, you know people to bounce ideas off of and um, the support system and then it's like okay you're it now <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean it's very much like that in in counseling as well I mean you're in, you're in practicum and you're you have all these supervisors and these you know teachers and then you graduate and it's like, okay, here's clients and you know, right. here's your yeah. job. And it's like, oh man. Yeah. So that transition is for me anyway, it was definitely scary in the beginning, but yeah, that's a lot for everybody, man. The colleagues I had though, they were, uh, I know they got tired of me in the beginning and asking a million questions, but they, you know, they were very supportive and it was a great, um, a great clinic to be in with to start out. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, Medicine is funny. It, um, I loved being a primary care doctor, but the system that has been kind of, you know, built around the practice of medicine, I did not function very well in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a long time to kind of come to terms with that and, and try to understand, you know, why, why can I not make this work or why am yeah. I so miserable or stressed out or burned out is the, you know, the typical key, the yeah. key phrase now after I've only been doing this, you know, two, three, four years, yeah. you know, is there something wrong with me or, you know, what is it that's the that Dan Kelly should let me quit a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I think, you know, we don't really get to choose or I didn't know there were other choices out there when I started. And yeah. so you just kind of go well, along. And there weren't, there weren't much. Right. Right. I mean, you know, I think the trend was changing, you know, yeah. everybody was private for decades and then, then everybody started to be employed because of just the burden of electronic health records and insurance and billing and all of that. And so, yeah, that was just the typical route of, 
graduate and go get employed. And yeah, you get employed by a big system that has a bunch of moving parts that you're not in control over, and you show up and you get a salary. and Right. Yeah. And, and then you're so, seeing what? How many clients a day? Yeah, so, so it just, you know, it depends on how busy one wants to be or needs to be or can be. But for me, I was probably seeing 25 to 30 at my max. Um, and that was overwhelming for me, yeah. very overwhelming. Um, and I wasn't even seeing as many as, you know, most doctors do. And so I felt, you know, what, you know, what is wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And I think if you ask most doctors, one huge aspect of that is the electronic health record and the amount of charting you have to do and clicking boxes and it just, it would add every year, you know, now you need to do this and now you need to do this for insurance and billing and, and I think that just sucks, takes your time away from the patient mm -hmm. and that's why we all went to med school is to help people and now we're doctoring our computers more than we're yeah, doctoring the patient and I think that's not the only aspect, but that's one big aspect of why it just was not a good fit for me. Yeah, for sure. And I know, I know, you know, we've talked a bunch about it, but you know, for doctors out there listening who live in that lifestyle, it's not a hate on, it's not a hate on them. It's just didn't fit for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some people can do it and love it and thrive in it. And you know, that's their yes. Thing. And I, you know, all my friends are in the traditional model and they all are doing very well and great and they help a lot of people. And yes, it is no, um, knock on that knock on that at all i mean that works very well for a lot of people but just for me i think my my mental health and uh, my ability to to function at that high of a pace was um just wasn't there and so yeah. i needed something different and so that brought you to what and so that brought me to direct primary care and um i was trying to think of where i even learned about it or heard about it and i don't i don't remember but that bug started to get I heard about it about two years into my um, clinical practice, and I was like, "Wow, hmm, that sounds interesting. I didn't know there there was such a thing." And um, mm -hmm. so, you know, I would constantly read articles and go to conferences and just start to slowly get into that world and see what it was all about and talk to different people and and learn the pros and cons and just really try to learn as much as I could about it. Um, to see if it was a, would be a good option for me because mm -hmm. it was like, okay, do, should I leave medicine or is it just the system I'm in or, or what is it that's not um, making me feel, you know, fulfilled or yeah. um, in my career. And so it was kind of like the light <laughs> that I needed. Absolutely. Um, and so direct primary care was this way of, so basically what it is is it kind of, pulls out the middleman in medicine. Um, it allows the doctor and the patient to be back, um, you know, as the center of the relationship. Um, you don't accept um, any insurance. Um, you're paid by a monthly membership. And then you're able to just kind of take care of the patient from there. So you don't have to worry about coding and ICD-10 codes and charting eight long, eight pages for a sore throat. You're just able to simplify medicine back to the way it used to be and and that's been extremely rewarding um so you started that when i started that in august of 2019 right okay. before the uh <laughs> right before the pandemic 
That's a great timing, right? Yeah, who, who would have thunk? Yeah, guys got a <laughs> sense of humor for sure. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing now. I am a direct primary care physician, still have the same, you know, do the same thing and still take care of the same conditions and um, still board, board certified in, in family practice, but just do it in a different model. Um, yeah, so for people listening, tell them kind of in detail what you do, what are your services. So if they're in our area, especially Shreveport and Bossier, um, you sure. know, yeah, give them, the, give them the stuff. Okay, so for a, fl- a flat monthly fee, um, basically get access to my clinic and to primary care services. So that includes almost everything that I do and everything that I can do in my clinic. So everything from office visits, um, you know, I can communicate in different ways than a traditional clinic. So we text, we email. Um, now a lot of doctors are doing telehealth visits, but before, even before that, um, video visits, phone visits, instead of having to take off work for every visit, um, that's all included in that monthly fee. So if you needed a um, antibiotic shot or a breathing treatment or EKG, most all that is included in the monthly fee. There are a few extra things such as flu test, steroid shot, um, sewing you up, you know sewing up a cut, um, taking a skin biopsy, but all those are under thirty dollars. So wow. um, we're able to just take out all that administrative burden and lower the cost of care to kind of actually what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember you know JC and I when J- when we had Jude. You know, look, we do um, Samaritan Ministries or Samaritan Chairing or whatever, so we don't have insurance, and it's been phenomenal. I mean, we've had it for four years now, and it's been great. So we just mm-hmm. pay a monthly thing, and then we pay cash for all of our services and all of our stuff. And and I remember getting you get a bill back, you know, an itemized list, so you can turn it in and get reimbursed. And it was like eight hundred dollars for oxygen. Yeah. And I was just like, what? You know, it's like we we live in this world with like medicine and doctors and we don't ever see the itemized list usually we just our insurance pays it it's like when you actually have to look at it broken down you know it's pretty outrageous yeah and And because of all those things you're talking about because of the cost of doing business exactly i mean i think there's they've got to recoup the cost of paying all these people to build insurance and Mm -hmm. um it's just a huge conglomerate that has to has to be fed. <laughs> yes, for sure. So yeah, so you're able to kind of go, what's it worth? Where do I make my money? Or how can I have this lifestyle that I want? But also, how can I serve people and get exactly know, a much service? better work lifestyle balance? Um, and then also, you know, I was, you know, I would get so frustrated seeing patients getting six hundred dollar bills in the lab for, I mean, in the mail for labs. And well, if you would have just gone two doors down to this lab, it would have been covered, you know, differently. And, you wouldn't pay that much. And then mm. when you actually see, you know, what the cost is setting up a direct payment system with the lab, you can get things much cheaper. So that's another part of it is I've gone out and I've done the legwork, working with different labs around the city, getting um, lower pricing. So they direct bill me um, so they can lower their costs too. And so it's just a win-win for the patient. They get cheaper labs um, and then a win for the lab because they don't have the administrative burden to collect their payments. They just get it straight from me. Right. Um, and then I also dispense, um, wholesale medications for my clinic. So generic medical medications, um, you know, a lot of times cheaper than you can get them at the pharmacy, sometimes comparable, but the, um, efficiency of just grabbing them from me before you leave, um, patients like that. Yeah, for sure. 
spending a lot of time at the pharmacy waiting on uh, uh, yeah. medications and prescriptions to be called in. So um, that's another perk. Um, another big perk is um, no wait times or very low wait times. So my patients joke like, when am I ever going to get to sit in the waiting room? Because <laughs> I've right. got some coffee in there. And, That's awesome. And different things. So it's usually just... Yeah, because when you walk in, I mean, you just stick your head out and say, hey, what's up? Yeah. Yeah. There's usually not a lot of patients waiting in the waiting room. Like, hey, Miss so-and-so, come on back. And um, so that's really, I think, important for people because our time is so valuable. And um, I know I would just get so anxious because I'd have so many patients waiting and, you know, somebody's late and so it pushes everything back and it just can kind of create this crazy chaos for the day where this is just you know a few patients scheduled each day and so I have much more time to spend with each one of them but then also um, be more respectful of their time too so absolutely yeah I mean I think it one of the reasons I love like what you do and bringing you part of the team is like especially for most of us who have anxiety, who've experienced trauma, who have, you know, had issues come sit in a waiting room with everybody else. It's terrible. You know, I, I remember when we had our miscarriages, like sitting in the OB's office with all these pictures of babies all over the place for 45 minutes or an hour and a half, you know, to wait. And then you go in for 10 minutes and then you leave. Right. <laughs> so yeah. like you're gone two hours from work to go in for 10 minutes. You know, and, and not only that, but like you're sitting with all these other people, you're looking at all these other pregnant women, you're, you know, it's just all this, like, you feel like you're in this little factory, you know, of people. Absolutely. And yeah. So, and, and so I loved like coming to meeting at your office and seeing your office and being like, oh man, this is super homey. And, you know, people were just able to come in and say, hey, and yeah, you feel like you're getting like one-on-one -on -one attention. I mean, yeah, there's just two, two of us there and, um, you know, me and my office manager, which I'm about to make some transitions there I'm going to get a nurse so um That's yeah awesome. so it's it's very personable like we all know the patients we all know who's coming in who's you know who needs what and so it's just kind of simplifying I felt you know everything got so complicated with so many hands in the pot things got lost and not that that our, our system is perfect by any means <laughs> but true. simplifying things helps helps us take better care not better care but more efficient care yeah. um, of our patients it makes you feel like you're giving better i think that's yeah. the most important thing right is like for you as a doctor you feel the most congruent doing it the way you're doing it yes so you right. feel like you're giving the best care possible exactly and not that yeah i think that's a good way to put it like i'm not any you know giving any better care than another physician but it's just for me i feel more at ease and more fulfilled yeah. and like i'm able to give the time and the energy that i yeah. I felt I wasn't expending before. That's so. good. I mean, I think that's so important for people to listen anyway in general when they're listening to anything is that just because somebody's doing something different than the norm doesn't mean that they are or aren't better or are doing it better or whatever. It just means that for them, I mean, that's what we all need to be striving for is what do I feel congruent with? What do I feel like is my best self and my healthiest version? I talk about that all the time with our therapists. I'm like, I don't care how many clients you see a week. Yeah. You know, if four people a day feel super good and you feel like you're given a game every time, do that. If that's the salary you want and that's the income you want and that's the help you feel like you're doing, great. Because you're going to be bringing your best self to the table when you're doing that. But yeah. some people can see seven people a day, eight people a day, and they feel great. Right. And I think it's just whatever uh, threshold you're comfortable with. And I think, you know, I felt a little bit of a frog, you know, telling all these people to, you know, have a, a better work-life balance and reduce your stress and oh, yeah. and here I was you know running myself into the ground and so finally it was like okay Mandy like 
you got to quit telling them this if you're not going to do it yourself. And (laughs) I've been there. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, getting an assistant, like getting an administrator and doing all the things we've had to do in the last three years of four years now of this practice. It's like you have this moment where you're like, okay, I'm in my office telling people to self care. And when's the last time I took a break? You know, when's the last time I told people, no, I can't see you, you know, and, and you're right. You want to be as authentic as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And it, um, yeah, I think that if I would love to encourage people in that route, like if you need to make any of these major life changes or life decisions, you know, just cause you're stuck in one rut in one system, um, it doesn't mean you can't step out in, in faith and, and change directions. And absolutely, of course, having a good support system, having a plan. I mean, I didn't just go out wing and it, yeah. <laughs> wing it. Um, and it did take a lot of faith, um, lots of prayer and, um, continues to exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, sometimes it's, whether it's a relationship or a job, I feel like so many people are unhappy and unfulfilled with their jobs, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I mean, I told you this the other day, right? And we were it's like, yeah, there's so many people that come in this office that are miserable in their work and make $5 million a year. Yeah. It's like nothing's nothing, you know, soothes your mental health more than doing something that you love, feeling comfortable with it, feel like you're doing everything that you want to be doing and are passionate about it. And then the money will either happen or not happen, but you'll be happy. Yeah. The rest of it, man, people chase that all day long. And then you and still miserable. unfulfilled. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They, they lose their kids. They lose their marriages. They lose their purpose in life. And, you know, they're stuck in a job going, well, I have to do this. Right. You know, and, and part of, you know, coming to you, coming to us is like, well, let's break that down. Let's, let's talk about what do you have to do? Right. You know, like you feel like you have to, let's go underneath that and go, is that true? And I think too, it's so, or at least crucial for me to find mentors or find, you know, what, who has already paved the way, who's already done this and who can you um, seek guidance from? And that's, you know, what got me through it too, is finding those mentors and people that have already done it that can what was your mistakes not that i'm not going to make my own and already have what you learned from that but absolutely um don't just settle if if you feel like you need to to make a change get with a good counselor to give you the coping skills to do that but um don't feel stuck I guess. yeah for sure i mean i think that's one thing that's beautiful about your story is that you know a lot of us are stuck in systems whether it's family systems or marriages or situations where we're we feel abused or we feel like this is just not where I need to be. And, and we're too scared to make adjustments, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so it's been cool to see you take, you know, the risk and step out and do something that, you know, the wave of people are doing this thing and you're going, well, that's fine, but I got to try this. And, and I think we're seeing that more in general in in medicine in counseling is like things are changing and, you know, we got to do things differently. Right. And I I think, you know, stepping outside the box and every year I would go to these direct primary care conferences and it would grow the number of doctors there. And so, you know, it's definitely a movement and a, I think as we make the system easier to transition into, we'll see more doctors coming that way. And yeah, about that. So for a person who's listening and this all sounds great and they're like, man, it'd be great to have a doctor. I don't have to wait in line with, and then, you know, I can pay a monthly fee and all these kind of things. Who's your ideal patient? And then like, how would somebody transition? Let's say they're paying nine hundred dollars a month for Blue Cross Blue Shield, and mm. like, how, how do how do you still pay that? Like, how do you still pay that and then comes to you? Like, what 
work me through that. Sure. Because okay. people ask me about this all the time. Okay. So um, there's a couple of different groups that you kind of look at. So one for me, the uninsured. So someone that doesn't have insurance and just feels that it's cost prohibitive. They're not able to afford it. There's no way around it. Um, I think it's, it makes complete sense. So Absolutely. Um, I cannot provide all the care you need, but I can provide a large majority of it. And so paying that flat monthly fee for primary care, which and what is that? It's $130 a month. Okay. Um, which encompasses 80% of, of your care. Right. Um, I think that's a, that's an easy sell uh, of, Hey, I get great care, a flat transparent pricing. So I know what I'm going to pay. And then I also, you know, I have a lot of resources, so I know how to get uh, mammograms very reasonable. I know how to get pap smears. So you don't have to feel like you have to forego a lot of these screening tests, mm-hmm. um, prostate cancer screening, basic colon cancer screenings, um, vaccines, you know, just how to get a lot of this stuff without having to have full insurance. Now I don't recommend anyone not have insurance, but if you're not able to, this is a great middle ground. Mm -hmm. Um, then that next group is those that have, um, that do have insurance, but they have very high deductible plans. Um, that group can benefit from this because, we're able to reduce your out-of-pocket expenses. So, you know, if you have an eight or ten thousand dollar deductible for the year, you're paying for all your care pretty much all year. <laughs> yeah. Um, unless something major happens, which for most individuals that doesn't. Um, so your, you know, your catastrophic plan is sitting there, um, but you utilize this for the nuts and bolts of your care throughout the year: um, prevention, um, coughs, colds, congestion. Uh, you know illnesses that come up and that sort of thing. I spend a lot of time on um, wellness and nutrition, and I know we'll get into that. But um, So just able to reduce the cost for a lot of that care that you would be paying out of pocket every time you went to the doctor, you'd have to pay for the visit and testing. And a strep test can be, you know, a lot of money, <laughs> and yeah. it's covered in the, um, the monthly fee and the shot for the treatment, you know, and that sort of thing. So... Um, as far as the actual um, plans, that gets a little more dicey because you get to go through an insurance broker and they really know the, the nuts and bolts of all those plans. But more and more catastrophic plans are coming out. Um, so used to, used to that I remember whenever I got out of college, I paid a hundred bucks and had a simple catastrophic mm-hmm. plan. And then as more and more stuff had to be covered, a lot of those plans went away. And so you pay a really high premium um, for all these services that you may not need. A lot of those catastrophic plans are starting to come about. So I would just get with a good insurance broker to see, okay, what are my needs? Um, do I really need coverage for everything that's included in these plans or can I raise my deductible? Um, and then you add the direct primary care plan to it. So lower your monthly costs, add this plan in, you're covered for the catastrophic things that may happen and then your nuts and bolts your typical primary care is all covered by the direct primary care yeah membership um you know and for some people it may not work if they have a employer-based plan and it covers everything really well and they don't pay much out of pocket and they have low co-pays and a low deductible and they're happy with their doctor then it may not be the right fit for them yeah um and then there's that third group that they do have those good plans or they have medicare that covers a lot of things but they like the um the personal aspect, the more time with your physician. So, you know, not feeling like you're rushed in and out. And Absolutely. so it's the convenience, the, um, 
the time you get with the physician that is for them the most value the most value absolutely so. yeah and there's a lot of people out there i mean i know in our in our own experience and we can you know get into this in general but you know when you have i guess the thing is is that most of this too is based on years and years of kind of the norm mm. and i feel like in the last 10 to 15 to 20 years based on let's say the way we prescribe antibiotics when you go to the doctor mm. based on the way you get treated when you go to you know, like it's our own fault and then it's the system's fault and and i think dr mcmullen and i talked about this on another podcast but it's like you go to the doctor and they give you antibiotics for everything yeah you know and and no matter what it's like well here's a, here's a z-pack you know because you have a cold or whatever and, and you're happy to get it because you're like i just want to feel better so right. i'll take this and i mean i've grown up like that my whole life you know every time we went to the doctor getting something well we're seeing now that there's consequences for that in our genes and in our mutations and food allergies and microbiome and yeah, yeah gut health and all this stuff and and so it's like we're we're not the same people 20 years later that we were and much less 40 years later than we were 40 years ago, eating grass fed things, eating from the farm, eating from local, you know, places. I mean, that's not been a long process. Absolutely. You know, for thousands of years, you only ate cows that were around you. You only ate chickens that were down the street. You only ate food from the garden, you know, like, and then the last 30, 40 years, like now we're eating things from other countries that have. So my point is, is that when you go to the doctor, I feel like med school hasn't changed that much is what it mm. like. It hasn't, I'm not saying it hasn't changed. I'm not hating. I'm right. just saying adapted as quickly as exa- our culture. And that's what I mean. Has. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And same thing with psychology. I'm not hating on, I mean, I think it's all the systems. It takes a lot longer for a grad school and a system to go, okay, we need to rework this and change this and get some new things in because everybody's kind of ground level. And so my point is, is that I think when I, like when we went with Grady to the doctor, and and god bless all the doctors we work with but sometimes it was like you, you can feel like you you've had to study and research more than the doctor has because they don't know what mm. fpas is or they don't know what these things are and my point to that is that i think there are a lot more people with sensory issues with gut health issues with allergies with these things than there used to be absolutely but the range is still like well we have 40 clients and and you're probably this average person so it's probably this and that might have worked and you might not have missed it very often 20 years ago right but now there takes because of everybody's issues and because of the way our culture and our bodies are i think there needs to be more of a narrow focus and more time because we're worse right. does that make sense oh absolutely i mean yeah i say that and yet all we're the just time. getting busier yes i say that all the time like our culture our environment our toxic food planet uh has adapted and changed way more quickly than we've been able to adapt to it obviously um and so i think the one big problem with that is we have to go out and educate ourselves yes and so we didn't learn it in med school and so now it's spending the time and the money of learning a lot of these new things that are coming out and it just takes an exorbitant amount of time to do that yes um i'm with you i mean yes <laughs> yeah, we, i mean i tell this all the time about trauma it's like you know we all need to be getting emdr trained and trauma trained it's like but i understand like not everybody can do that right and so i think you know also at the same time the system that they're in 
it's the time factor. And oh, yeah. It's not that they want to. I mean, they're all doing it from a great place from their heart, but it's the time factor of, hey, I've got all these things I've got to take care of. I've got to make all the right click boxes, and then I've got five minutes with you to talk about X, Y, and Z, and then we get your prevention, and we get so it's how do I get all this done in this five to seven minutes of this visit? And it's, it's impossible. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, and so there are a lot of things that get left out and we do a lot of times, you know, what is the quickest solution that's going to make you feel better and get you better, but it may not always be the optimal, um, the way to do it. Right. And I think it, it falls on both sides. I mean, it falls on, um, the doctors making the right decisions and not, just doing what is expected from the patient and then also from the patient not you know expecting something when they go to the doctor being willing to say hey give this a a little time to let your body uh heal on its own and oh yeah here are some things to do so i think it's hard on both sides to yeah you're right it is both sides because you you then you have the whole malpractice insurance part where it's like doctors are doing the best they can with what they have but then they get sued for stuff that's not really their fault to the client it's responsibility and you know it's just this big mess so now we're like like a lot of things like a lot of things we're like just avoiding getting sued yeah and overly you know overly ordering things that are maybe unnecessary yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a complicated web <laughs> it is so i think that's what's beautiful about what you're doing is that who you know all the systems are important but sometimes the option the the choice for any of us is like change the system yeah you know do your own system and i, I love that that's what you're doing yeah, and I think with, you know, in my, in that we're talking about antibiotics or colds in that case, it's like, Hey, you know, this, based on what you're telling me, this does not need an antibiotic in two or three days. Let's check back in. And, you know, if the symptoms aren't improved, we can do X or, you know, X, Y, or Z. But whereas in a traditional clinic, it's like, Hey, I'm gonna have to pay that to, you know, yeah. another copay or another to go back. So you don't want the patient to have to do that and take off work again. And, you know, yeah, they're not going to just email you and be like, you good? Right. So <laughs> it's the system that you're in. It's like, okay, you know, if you're not better in two days here, take this. Yeah. So, um, I yeah, it's like one more day. You probably would have been better. Yeah. I mean, I found that a lot with steroid shots and you know, it's like we had COVID and cr- over Christmas. And I remember I was about to leave and the nurse came in and she was like, well, we were sending you home with a Z pack and then we're going to give you a steroid shot. And I was like, for what? Mm-hmm. You know? And she's like, well, just, you know, just in case. And I'm like, in case, in case what? And she's like, well, you know, you could be having a bacterial infection in your lungs. Like, and I'm like, you said my lungs were clear. So we had this like back and forth. I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. You know, like, but it's just this weird people want something. People want to give something. People want to cover it just in case they didn't, they're not going to see him again forever. Cause I went to, you know, like a quick care. Quick care yeah. And so it's just crazy. And I think that's where kind of on the same level as what you do. Like that's where the relationship comes in. Yes. And knowing the person and, I know the last time this happened, you know, I know exactly what the course was like and, you know, I know how they respond to this medication and I know, you know, so getting to know them on a personal level, you get to know their resiliency and, and what they can handle, what they can't and and can, I feel, take a little more personalized approach. Yeah, because I mean, care. that's what so much of doctoring was in the beginning, mm. you know, it was just meeting people and getting to know them, care, you know going to their house and sitting by them and talking to them and you know not a whole lot of medicine going on before we had a lot of this stuff right and I think we've lost that piece and gained a lot of the other stuff and yeah and I think it's going to take just kind of one doctor you know one doctor at a time (laughs) making the 
making the change and, and, you know, too, on the patient side of maybe having a little bit different expectation when you go in and how oh, can yeah. you change your mindset and make the relationship work better. And yeah, cause I would say on the, on your end, when you're one of those people who know you're going in for seven minutes, like have your stuff mm-hmm. together, you know, maybe, you know, know your history, know your stuff, be able to go in and present it to your doctor. Well, Oh, absolutely. You know. I mean, if that's, that's one piece of advice I could give is yes. And you know, have, whether it's a notebook or what have your information for you, you know, very handy because whether it's, you know, patients coming in, well, what medicines are you on? Well, you know, I don't know, or I'm not sure I was given this, but I'm not, you know, that was a long time ago. I don't know if I'm still on it or yeah, I may have had that vaccine, but I'm not sure. And, you know, <laughs> yes, we can go out and some of that stuff we can find, but it, you know, I may send a record release request three or four times before you, it's just not an efficient system. Yeah. So the best way to, to know that you're going to get the care you need and your records are going to be right is for you to, to stay on top of it as well. And know when you had a procedure, know when you had a certain vaccine. Hey, I just had labs done, you know, cause a lot of stuff we duplicate. I just had labs done, you know, three weeks ago at this doctor's office. We don't need to repeat everything that we just ordered. And, mm-hmm. but unfortunately all our electronic health records are on different systems and none of them talk. And yeah, um, well, you, again, and that's the problem with technology is we lose the relationship piece. Yeah. We get so reliant on these systems that actually don't end up communicating cause there's a hundred of them and nobody's using the same thing. Right. So it's like, it kind of, it kills the point in general. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, the systems that were supposed to make everything so efficient have done the opposite effect. Yeah. Yeah. And then the people are getting lost in the mix and mm-hmm. it's, it's the same thing with insurance with mental health and insurance with other things. It's, you know, we have that, we have people who take insurance. I'm getting paneled for a couple things just to help some clients out. And, but it's like, it's not necessary you know, yeah. because the headache of filling out the paperwork, turning it in, doing notes, yeah, that's time away from your patients, the time away from your clients, time away from your family, or you see less people. Right. And so it's like, you know, so that would be my advice for people if they're going to a doctor is, you know, even though, yes, the systems are difficult and, you know, we're all in this together. And so trying to have that mentality of like, if I'm going to stay with a doctor who sees 40 people a day for seven minutes, I need to go prepared and not be expecting them to be able to do all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and I would say even for um, even for the model I have, it's still good for you. Well, yeah. to, yes, for you to to know what's going on um, with your health, and and I think that's huge in what you do too. It's like how do we empower people to take personal responsibility? Yes, um, for their care. Yes, we're giving you the tools that you need. Um, I'm here to help you, but you will not find health in my office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's easier. Again, the overarching theme is it's easier in my opinion, in your model sometimes because you're able to have time with the person. So they feel safe. They feel seen, they feel heard, which then empowers them to take responsibility. Absolutely. But when they go in and they feel like they're a product and they're getting ran through the ringer, then they're already triggered. They're already overwhelmed. And then they lose all of their self in that. And then they leave going, what did the doctor say? What was I supposed to do? Uh, oh, am I taking this? Right. Oh, I need to get their prescription. Oh, well, they called the wrong thing in or they don't ha- have it or it's at the wa- wrong Walgreens. I mean, we've all been there. Absolutely. And that still happens. Oh, it's uh, infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> that's impossible uh, to completely correct. But yes, we um, try to work through some of that. But faxing and getting the medicines to where they need to be can 
be a big challenge. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk about, um, you wanted to talk about kind of nutrition and chronic disease prevention. And so that's the other part of what you're doing is instead of always treating symptoms, right? Instead of saying, Hey, it's a mess. Come in, we'll give you some antibiotics. But tell me about kind of your, your view of treating symptom or treating prevention instead of treating symptoms. Sure. So, I mean, I think first kind of under, getting everyone to understand what chronic disease is. Um, so if you, you know, you think back in the 1900s and the early beginnings of med- medicine, it's like what used to kill us or harm us was infections. Mm-hmm. And so um, there wasn't, and we died way younger. And so there wasn't all this time to develop all these chronic illnesses. And so we would um, either get over the infection or die. And then, of course, antibiotics and all these um, fabulous inventions and things like that started to make this started to make infections um, not be um, the leading cause of death and so now kind of what is taken over as our culture our food environment and all this is so rapidly changing are chronic illnesses so things that don't necessarily go away unless you really work at it um, conditions lasting longer than a year that are that are lifelong um, Things like heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, um, cancer, dementia, um, COPD, you know, all these these big name conditions that, for the most part, they don't go away. Mm-hmm. And so that is the next um, pandemic or epidemic that we're experiencing around the world. It's not just America, is the rise in chronic illness. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the amount of our healthcare dollars of our four tw- trillion dollar a year healthcare dollars, like it's estimated maybe 80 to 90% of that is on chronic illness care. Wow. Um, so it, it is a huge burden whether we realize it or not. Um, yeah. and then most people are not affected by just one chronic illness. It's, you know, one, two, three, um, things they have going on. And so I think the shift in what we're treating has drastically changed not necessarily since i started but um you know from 50 60 70 years ago right which in human history is not that long right (laughs) yeah um and which we'll talk about a little bit later seeing it younger and younger and younger and younger yeah um so it's no longer you know odd to see a adolescent with type 2 diabetes where it used to be unheard of so right um why do you think that is i mean we can get into that now yeah i mean i think it, it it's so many different things, but I think it's our, our food environment. And that's why I, pay, I play such a big, um, put a big um, emphasis on nutrition. Um, you know, you are what you eat. And that's so true. Oh, yeah. And then you are what you eat, ate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a whole nother um, talk, I think. But so, you know, looking at food as fuel for our bodies and how do we adapt to this changing environment I think has been just is such a huge challenge um, and it's the hardest thing the hardest thing that I do in my clinic is to get people to change their eating their eating yeah because people can literally be dying mm-hmm. I mean I have family members people clients and you're like hey you're dying because of this you know you need to lose this much weight or you're gonna like have another mm-hmm. stroke or heart attack or whatever and they just don't do it yeah I mean they do it for a little bit Right. And I think, I think you don't want to say it's an insurmountable challenge because it's not, definitely not, not, but you know, it's, we all know that broccoli is healthier than M&Ms, but it's how do you, (laughs) how do you get 
somebody to make those different choices. And it's a lot of it is education. I mean, a lot of people just don't realize, oh, for sure. do not realize the amount of sugar that is in food and you know, what they're eating. We are so busy and so on the go that we are just, you know, aimlessly. Um, yeah. Well, we, we, I think part of it's, we trust the systems too much. Yeah. We just assume like, Oh, nobody's trying to kill us. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It's like, no, they literally don't care. They're just yeah. boxing up things with 75 ingredients on it to make money. Right. And to keep costs down and to make it cheap and, you know. And slapping health labels on. Oh, yeah, that's, for sure. That's the hardest part to overcome. I mean, it says heart healthy or it says lower your cholesterol. And, you know, so it's hard to know. Yeah, what is it? When something has, like, vegan-free on it, it's, or not vegan-free. Uh, gluten-free. Gluten-free and it's, like, meat. It's, like, yeah. beef jerky. It's, like, it doesn't have gluten. It never did. You know, yeah, but they throw. Th- yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, with us having food allergies, you know, again, that's the, it's, like, you know, I've learned over six years with Grady to like so much about that stuff because I'm like, why does this have dairy in it? Or why does this have corn in it? Or why does this have, you know, this extra stuff in it? And it's so frustrating because like he's allergic to these things and it's so unnecessary for it to be in there. But you're fine to f- trying to find the one box of whatever that doesn't have it. Yeah. yeah and you start realizing, yeah, all and... that stuff that's in there. Yeah. Like Red 40. And, you know, it's like these things are terrible. And then once you, because we have this kid who doesn't have it when you introduce it to him and he has something with like, like Skittles or, you know, he can have now I watch his behavior and his sensory issues and his irritation and like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, what do he eat? Oh, he ate that. He ate Skittles this morning. And it's like, it literally, because I'm watching it drastically makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And yet if you don't have those issues, you're just always eating it and doing it. So you don't need, you don't even see that that is actually the thing causing some of the outlier issues. Right, and I think that's the sometimes the eye-opening moment for people when you you do start to tease that out. And we we I do it myself. I mean, we play tricks on ourselves. We think I have so many people. Okay, oh yeah, I eat healthy. Oh yeah, I don't you know I don't drink sugar. Or I don't have much caffeine. And it's like okay, well let's get into this and let's yeah, let's yeah. talk about what you're eating for X, Y, and Z. And and then you start to say okay, let's look this up. And I'll look it up on my computer. And, holy cow, I didn't know it had that much sugar in it or, Absolutely. you know, and so. Well, you're also moving from like train wreck, I'm going to die before I'm 70 to I'm doing pretty good mm-hmm. to, oh, I'm being healthy. And so yeah. a lot of times we move from train wreck to, well, I'm doing pretty good. So yeah, I'm eating good. And it's like, well, yeah, what are you comparing it to? Are you comparing it to ideal, like what your best option? Or are you comparing it to horrible things yeah well and i think too what's encouraging especially with a lot of the data is it doesn't have it doesn't take perfection no for sure um to make huge changes you know it can be a five percent weight loss can make a huge reduction in your risk for diabetes Mm -hmm. and things like that so yeah i mean it's definitely not perfection we're seeking we're seeking progress and uh, i laugh because you know i'll talk to different people that know a lot about and they're like well you know give them this uh, recipe for salad dressing. I make my own salad. And I'm like, look, they're drinking a 12 pack of Sunkist a week. I've got a, <laughs> I'm way off from them making their own salad dressing. You know, so you yeah. meet people where they're at. Absolutely. And, you know, find out what are the barriers. You know, I have a lot of truck drivers. I'm like, okay, you know, you're doing this because you're on the road and mm-hmm. there's nothing at gas stations that's healthy. So how do we kind of fit this into your lifestyle where you can make small changes and start to build on that, that, 
you can see, you know, get confidence in and, and see how easy it can be. Yeah. Um, well, that's the thing. And that's the beauty of what you do is that, and, and I mean, with Ashley and Rachel, our dietitians, and is that being able to sit somebody down and say, tell me your context, mm-hmm. tell me your life, right? Because that's so important. But just saying what to do doesn't really work. Right. Because so many people have different variables and reasons for why they do it. Right. I mean, the reason we're doing this podcast is the idea of asking those good questions, like asking why it is that you're drinking 12 Suncast a week, mm-hmm. you know, like not everybody's going to do that. Of course, the person knows they should, you know, it's not good for them to be doing it, but you're going to have to get into their context to help them understand. And as a doctor in your clinic, meeting one-on-one and having time, you can do that. Absolutely. And I mean, then we- you can call me and say, Hey, you're seeing this, you know, you're seeing this client. I know they're struggling with anxiety. We talked this week about, you know, them drinking 12 Sunkist a week and how that sugar and that caffeine and those things are going to mm. jack them up. Right. And yeah. Then, and, and, you know, I get into, so what vegetables do you like? And yeah. I mean, we can show them pictures of food prep and, and really getting more personalized with our advice and how do we overcome these barriers? Because I mean, and the two biggest barriers are, are, time and money, you know, to not mm-hmm. eating, to not eating better. And I, I get that. Um, and so we've got to talk about, I mean, and I struggle with it myself. I don't eat perfect for sure. Um, and you know, busy and all that. So really sitting down with somebody, how can we prep? What are some good choices? Um, how can you save money? You know, Oh, did you know this week? Uh, you know, this was on sale here, you know, so it's just a personal personalized way of, of getting down to the nuts and bolts of their eating patterns and why they make the choices they do and how can we over six, you know, I, I say all the time, I don't, I don't care what you're eating next week. I'm looking at the long game here. Yeah, I the want, big picture. I want to set some new foundational habits. So in six months in a year and two years, we're continuing on this path. We deviate off you know, at a birthday party or, you know, whatever. And then we come back on our path and our, our bulk of our 80% of our diet is the healthy foundation that we've, yes. that we've made over time. That's so good. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I say that all the time about parenting, marriage, like you do not have to be perfect. Just do the right thing, you know, seven or eight out of 10 times. Yeah. You know, if you're yelling at your kid and you're struggling with anger and frustration, like, okay, you're going to yell at them. Sometimes you're going to get frustrated. So don't put a high expectation you can't meet. Right, same thing with diet culture, right? Like never eating dairy or I'm never doing eating cake or I'm never eating dessert or I'll never drink a Coke or whatever. Like, well, you're certainly going to do that. So then you feel shame and you feel failure and then you just go and you're like, well, I can't do it perfectly. So I won't do it at all. Right. And I think the same thing with children, our bodies are very resilient. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) They can take a lot of beating. And so, you know, messing up here or there is not going to, you know, ruin everything. So it's, it's getting back on that path and absolutely moving forward from there and I think you know the simple advice would be I love um, Michael Pollan he's a an author and he has literally the simplest best advice I can ever give anybody is eat food mostly plants not too much mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know that first one sounds simple eat food okay well you know something with five ingredients on the label is actually not not food, food. yeah so Sounds simple at the beginning, but as you start looking at things, you know, an avocado, an egg, salmon, uh, arugula, cabbage. I mean, all these are real things, whereas you start getting into the processed, boxed, Boxed. pre-made, pre-packaged, pre-bottled. Yep. That's when you start to veer off from what's really food. Absolutely. Um, And if we extrapolate that out, you have to go, well, why do we do that? 
Mm. Convenience, money. Okay, well, what's our lifestyle? Like, because we're dying. Mm. You know, we're dying on, well, I can't afford it or it's, 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 I'm too busy. Yeah. Well, I'm too busy trying to work to make money to provide to buy this box lunch that's killing me. Absolutely, yeah. And so for a lot of us, it's just learning to take the time to slow down, to be in relationship with somebody, a doctor, therapist, dietitian, chiropractor, whoever. And just take a breath and realize, like, I'm moving way too fast. Things are way out of hand, and I need to reassess how I'm doing this. Yeah, and you know, it's about changing your priorities. Yeah, well, yeah. and asking those questions. I mean, yeah. we've had this conversation. I've had it with all of us, you know, that work together. It's like, okay. I'm getting stressed about this. Well, is that really what we think? And is that really what we're striving for? Well, no. Well, then we're not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, if money, if, if making $60,000 pays all your bills and puts money in the bank and you're happy, great. But you're going to overwork for $70,000 this year? Yeah. You know, and we, you know, I think a lot of times we get caught in that, that performance-based cycle. And it's like, but that all plays a part into what we buy and what we eat. Mm-hmm. You know, we just don't stop long enough to look at how those momentary things are causing huge problems long term. Absolutely. And, and you know, they say choose your heart or fit, choose now what you're going to spend time on. Yes, oh, yeah. absolutely. It may cost a little bit more to eat healthy. Um, it doesn't always have to, but it can. And But medications and doctor visits and oh, certain, yes. all this stuff is very, you know, can be very expensive. So... Not to mention, like, when people say that, it's like, well, how much money do you spend on alcohol and cigarettes and going out and movies and NFL Network? And you know what I mean? I mean, it's a priority issue. And I'm not calling people out. I'm saying I do. I have to check the same things. Me too. I mean, I told told my husband not too many months ago, I really want to change our food budget because I feel like I need to be buying better stuff. You know, like I could be spending more on food and I'm, we're not. So let, you know, so we're constantly looking at that as well. I mean, it's not just, um, it's ridiculous. We went last night, I got off work, you know, worked all day, called JC. She's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, I didn't cook anything. I'm like, you want pizza or El Cabo? You know, like that's the two (laughs) options I got. And I got El Cabo. It was like 60 bucks. And I'm like, good Lord. Like, you know, I can't be paying for this, you know, every, every week. Right. But before you know it, life is busy. And then you look at the last month and you're like, we ate out way too much. Mm-hmm. You spent way too much money. And it's like, well, do the math. You're going to compromise something next month because you did that. Right. And so, again, it's it's not this idea of being perfect. Like people talk about, like, basically, you need to have a balanced life. Mm-hmm. You know, be balanced. And it's like, well, no, you strive for balance. balance you're never going to hit balance. Right. <laughs> you know, you have to, like, re- you just have to play the game of, you know, finding balance in our lives of food and money and time and energy and work and family and church and you know yeah and I think it's constantly reevaluating that and my sister-in-law told me she was in town for Easter and I was telling her this and she was like um you're like way busy (laughs) and I was like you know yeah I've been thinking that lately and I've told this person I need to hold on that and you know so even if you have overcommitted you can always scale back absolutely um and you you know, you start to realize, wow, I didn't have as much time as I thought, or I, you know, I shouldn't have committed to this and so say no, or um, delegating tasks when you, you know, somebody else could be doing them more efficiently. And yeah, the balance is a constant. It's mm-hmm. never going to, like you say, it's never going to be, okay, I'm balanced. And yeah, for sure. Well, I think what happens though, is that we feel ashamed that we're not. And that mm-hmm. because we have some unbalance in our life that we're wrong and bad and we should be doing it better. 
right. instead of being in communities and relationships where we're all kind of working that with each other and, and it's okay to have a week that struggle and it's okay to slip up and you yeah, know and I have those grace. days where I, I've said you know oh I left myself uh, it happened a couple Fridays ago it's like I left myself two or three hours to get some stuff done I had a client text hey I'm struggling with this I was like okay I'll see you and then somebody texts and I'm like well I guess I, I, I can go to lunch at one and I'm like, oh, man, I forgot I had a meeting. And then I yeah, they didn't get a break all day. Right. It, it was all good intentioned. Clients got helped, but I ended up on a Friday being just like, I'm zonked, mm-hmm. you know. And instead of being like, what an idiot, you know, like, can't believe I did that, I had to go, okay, what do I do next week to make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah. And, you know, we've talked a lot about boundaries. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and still working with that, you know, I've never been good with boundaries. And so I think... That was another big issue with at my old position is not having healthy boundaries. And so just feeling just constantly just keep giving, keep giving, keep giving. And and so you have to slowly build confidence with that mm-hmm. as you set healthy boundaries and see that things don't fall apart. And that patient, you know, or person oh, doesn't yeah. hate you. Well, it's fine. Yeah. 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 That's man. I, I learned that lesson. Uh, it was when Grady was at St. Paul's. So he's my oldest. So he was two or three. And it was like. I don't even remember what happened, but I'm like, I have to be, I want to be at everything, you know, every school event, everything. And, and it was like a Thursday, they had like a Halloween thing and I didn't know about it or JC had mentioned it, but I didn't put it on the calendar. And so I didn't go. And she was like, you know, Grady was looking for you. I mean, she didn't care and she didn't you know, even remind me, but I was like, never again, you know, but in, the, in my head, I was like, well, I had this scheduled already. And now, I mean, I just text, I'll just text a client or call and say, Hey, look, my kid has this on Thursday. I know we normally meet, but I'm not going to do that. You know? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, great. Go see your kid, you know. But in, if you're if you're stressed out and worried and overwhelmed, then you're going, they're not going to like me. They're never going to come back. They're going to be offended. Right. And good boundaries go, hey, that's their stuff and not my stuff. You know, I had to be able to say, you know, the best yeses and I have to be able to say no. Yeah, and that is, that is so hard, especially if you're not used to it or practiced at it. And, oh, yeah. Uh, it's a lesson you have to learn and you bump your head. Yeah, for sure. So when you were talking about um, kind of chronic disease stuff. Um, what was interesting to me when I, when we were talking, we didn't talk about this before, but you know, you said COPD, heart disease, early death, you know, um, dementia, dementia. Well, those are all the, the list of things from ACEs scores. So adverse childhood effects, right? Mm -hmm. So that's all or experiences, adverse childhood experiences scale. So the ACEs score, right? Um, for people listening who haven't listened to the podcast before, these are things that happen to you early in your childhood that are emotional, physical abuse, uh, sexual abuse, um, divorce in the home, um, mental illness in the home, battered mother, um, incarceration. So if you experience any of these in childhood, the more you've experienced, the more likely you are to have COPD, heart disease, chronic illness, you know, early death, suicide, depression, anxiety. So it's interesting to me, from a mental health standpoint, I mean, this is why we're working that, together. Yeah, I mean, I'm, this is exactly why these two fields go so well together. Yeah, yeah, it's so crazy. Like, I mean, I know we're doing it for that reason, but even as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, because you can't really separate out the mental health aspect. I mean, for me, I'm biased. I think that's the core. Mm-hmm. I think equally so what we eat, what we drink, our bodies, our epigenetics, all those things right. are out of play. But, I mean, they're probably on the same hand. But... I think people were a lot more used to going to the doctor than they were going to therapy. And so my point is, is that how, tell me about how, I think that's why you're passionate about mental health. So I'll shut up. Tell me why, uh, 
you know, mental health is such a important part for you to integrate into your practice and what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with that point is, you know, we learn all these systems and these, you know, your nose and throat and lungs and heart and that sometimes I think we forget to look at the whole picture. And so I'm starting my practice off and seeing people and seeing people and then I'm just like, why are some people getting better and why some never get better? And, you know, they end up doing way worse with this condition than I thought they should, or they're never doing what I ask them to do when they come back or, and over time, it, you know, one, I don't know why it just clicked. Oh, it's all these things you just mentioned. It's the social aspect. It's the mental health aspect. It's, um, their was resiliency, their coping skills. I'm not dealing with any of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and not, you know, I can't say I wasn't taught that it just wasn't. You didn't get it. Yeah it, yeah, it either didn't click or it just wasn't a huge part of all that. It's like they have X, Y, and Z. They have these three symptoms. How do we fix that? And yeah. tests and textbooks are not real life. And so I think it took me a while to slowly realize that was the missing link. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to deal better with their mental health, their social. And, and now I have the time to do that because before you didn't yeah, even want no to way, dig. yeah you've talked about this but you didn't even want to get into it because you don't have the time or the resources to help them with it and yeah, you're like i'm not touching that yeah so <laughs> you know yes my son has an opioid addiction and i have to go take care of his son and bring him to visits you know every week but that's why i didn't get my medication filled and yeah so yeah so i think that's one aspect of it is the ACE score and your mental health has just a huge impact on your physical health. And at the same time, um, you know, I've been greatly impacted by mental health too. So my father was bipolar and he committed suicide when I was 10. Mm. Um, so that, you know, just hit me in the face at 10 years old of, you know, this innocence is taken away and, um, you no longer see the world through the same lens and mental health was such a huge aspect growing up and then I've also struggled myself with anxiety and depression um it's a chronic lifelong illness too so off and on and so I think having that history and a huge empathy for what people are going through combined with the huge impact it has on your physical health it just kind of naturally makes sense that that's going to be a big part of what I focus on and talk about and try to heal and help too so absolutely yeah I mean when when you've gone through it, right, you see it so much more clearly in other people and you, you realize like, and I think the biggest takeaway for people on this, this episode and just in general and listen to us ever talk is that's everybody. Right. You know, I hate that we live in this, uh, this culture where we see a symptom or we see a, a behavior or we see heart disease and we, we kind of shame people and assume, Mm -hmm. oh, well, they must have done something wrong. It's almost like Job in the Bible where Job's suffering and he's got all this stuff going on. His friends come up and they're like, well, what'd you do? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yes, we have personal responsibility. We've made bad choices. But generally, those choices didn't start out as an adult. Mm -hmm. You know, know, it's like I work with sex addiction a lot or alcohol or whatever. And it's like we didn't have a great life. And then at 35, you're like, I'm going to cheat on my wife. Right. It's like you didn't have layers. Yeah. yeah it, you didn't have a great life. And then you have heart disease. Like it's all linked to 
ignorance and not knowing and no education and, and trauma and early childhood issues. And I think if we could have the time to be humans and be in a relationship with each other and to see each other contextually, then we could solve a lot of our problems individually. Yeah. You know, in relationship and figure things out. I think that's what's so beautiful about what you're doing and what we're trying to do as a practice is going, send us your people who are hurting, who are broken, and we're going to walk with them and figure that out intricately based on their context and what they they present with and give us. Mm-hmm. You know, and but it's taking all that in consideration. Right, and that's what I love, being able to come here on Mondays and hear y'all's, you know, because can't know everything no, so for sure. you know taking all y'all's wisdom and guidance on that aspect too and um learning about trauma and so i can better incorporate that into my practice i'm not going to fix all these issues but i can guide them into the resources that can and and get them to the the people who can help them with that and then have that understanding and knowledge of how do i better help them for my on their blood pressure and their cholesterol and all those nuts and bolts things yeah um, well, it's assuming, right? I mean, assuming in a good way. You know, they there's that joke about what assuming does. But, you know, the reality is is that when you're a doctor or you're a therapist, and really just in general, you know, one of the parts of trauma-informed care, which I'm going to change to trauma-responsive care, is this idea of assuming that people are hurting, mm-hmm. not behaving towards them negatively or like they're a victim or they're, they're a problem, but just being sensitive to people coming in our offices going, they probably had a look at the world, right? I mean, look at where we're at. They probably had a hard day. They probably got something in their life going on that's stressful. They might have some anxiety or depression unless they're the random tiny percentage of people who don't have any of those things, but most likely they do. Yeah. So what's my posture and how could it be towards them so that they feel heard and seen and known and because they're going to give me better information. You know, they're going to be more open to me and be more honest with me if they feel safe. Absolutely. And, then in turn take better care of themselves once they're open and feel yes. safe and can learn. And Yeah, because we felt so much shame, you know, in all kinds of, you know, any, I mean, I, me personally, but also just millions of clients that I've talked to, like, you're sick or you get COVID. I mean, I think that's one of the hardest things about COVID right now is, like, the shame that goes. I mean, we, we got COVID in December and, you like, you feel this, like, like you're dirty, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like you're bad and you're shame, you know, you got everybody else sick or you have the potential to and, it's like, man, it's a freaking disease that nobody can help giving. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. there's all these layers. And so then when you're feeling like that, you don't want to go to the doctor and, you know, then you want to go to the doctor and check. Eh, it's just a mess. Yeah, it is. And and so I think kind of the integrative looking at the whole and and putting all these pieces together for each individual patient can, can make them feel safe. And I've had lots of patients come from you guys saying, you know, they referred me here and they said that, you know, it's a small clinic and my information's going to be safe and you understand what is going on with me, you know? So it, I think it, it definitely helps um, most individuals to feel that you're, you care on a deeper level rather than just what their blood pressure is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, you know, we talked to that to Dr. Jenna about that. And it's like, you know, when you're going to chiropractic and you've been in a wreck, let's say, or, or you hurt yourself cause you fell, you know, for her to be like, man, I, I bet it's tough that you can't lift your kid this week or that your husband's having to bear the burden of that. Or, I mean, it's little caveats like that by just being informed of systemic kind of views that allow the person to be like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, I've been to 15 other doctors that never said that. 
Right. And I've had to learn that. Like, <clears throat> no, it wasn't sure. something that just happened naturally and, and, and taking guidance from y'all and how to, cause you are a little bit scared. Like we said before, to kind of get into some of that. Cause then you don't want it to turn into a therapy session. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so yes, learning how a little can go a long way and it doesn't oh, have to for be, sure. you know, sit down and tell me all about everything. And that's the beauty of, each time I see a patient, I have so much more time with them that I learn a little bit more and Absolutely. can ask a few more questions. It doesn't have to all be in that, that first visit. So. Yeah. And even if you got it all, you wouldn't be able to fix it anyway. Oh, right. Yeah. Then. Right. You know, that's what I tell our new therapist or therapist in general. Like, yeah, when a client comes in two or three sessions, if you're trained and you know, like you generally know what the problem is and could just tell them, but they might have figured that out for a year or three years, Yeah, you know, and, and the part of the process is, knowing and and letting them walk through that and be patient with them and get to know them and and really them to get to know themselves because even in your field it's like they're really just telling you their story mm-hmm. yeah i mean that that's the the joke and or not joke but they used to tell us all the time like just listen to the patient they'll tell you what's wrong <laughs> for sure and they will because we're yeah. the experts on our own life most of the time we just have so many blinders put up and so much fear and insecurity and shame that we don't know how to be honest yeah and I think the fear for me in the past has been, you know, as doctors, you want to fix everything. Yep. And so, man, if I ask all these questions and I don't fix it, then you feel somehow insecure or like you haven't done a good job, but that's, you can't look at it that way. No, you can't. Yeah. I have a couple of clients. We joke all the time because they're like, well, you know, you earned your money today or whatever, <laughs> you know, or they're like, tell me something, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm paying you. Tell me what to do. And I'm like, you know, I'm not here to tell you what to do. It's yeah. not, you know. Right. Tell me about that. You know, like, why does it, you know, and that works out, right? And and it's not that people actually want the answer because they're not going to do it anyway if that's the only reason, right? Because we can tell people what you tell people what to do every day. Right. It goes back to the vegetables. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, you had a heart attack. You need to stop eating this. And it's like, yeah, but I like that. And and then you get into the social, cultural, like, my family eats this and we have this every year at this. And yes, I mean, the, for sure. And I think, commenting on what you said before, trying to use and learning more about motivational interviewing and different techniques to get them to come up, trying to get them to come up with the plan more often than me because yes. they, they don't end up doing it when I tell them what to do. <laughs> so, okay, what do you like to do? You like to garden or you like to dance or, okay, let's make that the prescription yep. and not go to the gym twice a week or whatever it no, may be. for sure. Um, but then what was the last thing you said? I forget what you had said something. Oh, cultural and... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Huge barriers there. And so that's why I always try to tell patients, please try to get your family on board with this. Because if you're doing it in isolation, it's never going to work, whether it's quitting smoking or changing your diet or um, stress reduction techniques or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing it with your, you know, whether it's your roommates or your, you know, nuclear family or whoever it is that's closest to you, talk to them about it, get them on board. Very likely they need to make the same changes. Anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And will begrudgingly, you know, if we, and that's, that's part of, you know, again, working in therapy is getting people to learn how to set those boundaries, ask for what they need, mm-hmm. you know, have, have healthy communication with their partner or their spouse or their family and say, Hey, listen, you know, like I'm trying to quit drinking and you guys drink, and y'all are fine, but I drink way too much. Mm-hmm. So can you guys either not do that around me or, you know, but then people yeah. don't want to do that. Yeah. And a lot of times too, I think 
you know, I'll mention, well, have you talked to them about that? And they're like, well, no, I know how they're going to. Exactly. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. No, you've got to have that conversation. Um, so they know how you're feeling or they know what they're doing that's making it harder for you. And, yep. But if you avoid that conversation, then, of course, it's never going to change. Absolutely. So, that's um, good. Um, okay, so we wanted to talk about, you know, kind of prevention. So you're wanting to start with kids. Tell me a little bit about kind of. You're talking about doing some education, schools. Yeah, so I mentioned wanting to um, get into the school system somehow. Now, this was pre-COVID whenever I had this idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll see how that, that pans out starting next school year. But I feel like the burden is so huge that if we don't start when children are young, we're not going to move the needle much. Yeah. Um, and so I've, I've talked with Dr. You know, Virginia too about this and we've have a lot of ideas. It's just getting it on paper and implementing it. But I would love to be able to go into schools and whether it's multiple schools or, you know, more recently I'm thinking maybe I should just stick with one school and see how much of an impact I can make in one school mm-hmm. of laying down the foundation of that nutrition education. And, um, you know, whether it's having the parents come, I don't know if that'll be possible, but you know, not feeding your kid juice when they're young in the bottle and um, having kids grow their food. I know at my daughter's school, they have a small garden, which is great, but not every school has that. So how can we um, show kids where their food comes from and um, planting things and, and just getting them to have fun with it and normalize it and normalize it. Yep. Um, and you then mean you shouldn't give your kid a sugar drink in the morning and then when they go to and then give them lucky charms. And then when they get to school, (laughs) you know, them get a pop tart and then by, you know, 10 o'clock they're getting kicked out of the class because they're not paying attention. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's the system. Like I've had that with clients and it's like this, this kid's ADHD or he's got issues or he doesn't listen and just going, well, what did he eat? Yeah. He absolutely. ate so much sugar, you know, before 10 o'clock. And not that it will fix that, but it will oh, increase yeah. the chances of controlling it For much sure. better. Well, if anything, yeah. you get to, Again, you're ruling out things. Yeah. You know, you're going, okay, here's the here's the primary issue. My kid gets in trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to check a bunch of things, and, re, you know, we got to get rid of this and this and this and the, the drivers, so to speak, to that central issue. And no, they're not all going to – taking one drive away is not going to take the middle thing away, but you start realizing, like, it's the pieces of the puzzle. Absolutely. And, and so not only nutrition, but getting into – and we've talked at length about this, screens and social media and – and that aspect of how it oh, yeah. plays into your mental health. And so trying to teach them early, like how to use these in a healthy way, um, which is not always easy um, and movement and just so Exercise, many things. I think yeah. that if we can teach them early and get those brain connections going, then it's a lot easier than trying to change things when you're 50. Or 60. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're right online with my thinking with so many things. I mean, you know, I've been, doing trauma therapy for a good seven years now. And then, you know, therapy before that, and now doing the practice for four years. And and I love doing the day to day work with adults. I Mm -hmm. love working and helping people. And I see people recover and do amazing things, but yeah, the, especially when you talk about technology and, you know, social media and all those things. And just the, the saddest part is the 13 to 18 year old kids right now, Mm -hmm you know, the, the triage that we're going to have to do in the next decade for them, 
the problem is like if you don't do what you're saying and I don't do what I'm trying to do, which is the early prevention zero to eight year old parents right. and kids, then we just swing this thing again another decade. Yeah, because the twelve to eighteen year olds, we can help them, but we're going to help them recover. We're not really helping prevent anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they're already twelve years into it, eighteen years into an addiction or into impulse control or into whatever. Um, we can help them recover from that and not have a whole 40 years of adulthood that's a mess. And I think that's what we're doing currently. But if we don't, as a culture, really push hard into the life of these parents and these families. Yeah. And it's a, it's a big burden you think, but you just have to, you know, there's plenty of need in your community. So you don't have to look outside of, you know, even if I just, you know, I live in Mooringsport, tiny little Mooringsport. And so even if I just had an impact there, you know, it doesn't have to for anybody thinking of helping out or you know helping at your church or whatever it doesn't have to yeah. be this huge thing i think we sometimes make it well we get so, overwhelmed i mean yeah. and i do i mean i look at the big picture and i know the details and the stats and i'm like uh oh but then i have to stop and go you know we were talking about again to reference job i was telling a client this morning we we're talking about uh, chapter 38 is when god comes forward and says you know, did you tell the stars, you know, where to be in the sky? Did you stretch out the constellations? Did you tell the sea where to start? Like he just goes on this tear, you know, about how big and amazing and majest, you know, and then we can get overwhelmed with that and life and the problems and how big things are and even how big God is. Mm-hmm. But then chapter 39 starts with, uh, did, did, did you watch the doe birth the fawn? And it's just this amazing like thing of like, well, yes, God is huge and the problems are huge and the world's big. And yet God is saying, I'm intricately involved in the birth of a deer in the woods by itself. Mm -hmm. Right. And that goes back to Matthew of like, I I clothe the lilies of the field. How much more will I clothe you? And I watch every sparrow. How much more will I love you? And and we have to then just go, okay, well, then I just have to do my sphere of influence. Right. I just have to care for the person in front of me with the skills and the gifts that I have and, and influence that person. And that's all I'm required to do and responsible for. And if everybody would do that little bit. Yeah, it could make a huge impact. Huge yeah. impact. We could swing this whole thing. So my challenge for people listening, you know, is whatever you do, whether you're a doctor or a teacher or a therapist or, you know, uh, you work at Clico in the electrical department, I don't care what it is, you can make a huge impact by just doing a little. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a little because that little impacts so much more than you could ever know. And Ultimately, you know, God is present in those tiny little details just as much as he is telling the stars in the sky where to go. Absolutely. And, uh, and even just as easy as a smile or kindness. <laughs> For sure. Gosh. <laughs> that's, that seems to be in short supply. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another problem with the technology, right? Yeah. I mean, that people, you know, people don't have a conversation anymore. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the Matthew verse. Um, this is kind of not completely off subject, but um, I was thinking a little bit of, you know, making these huge changes, and it t- talks about, um, you know, do I not, uh, the, is it the sparrow, or the bird does not reap, it does not sow, but yep. it is well fed, yeah. you know, is taken care of, and Dave Ramsey, I don't know if you, uh-huh. I'm a fan of Dave Ramsey, he said, yeah, but God doesn't take the worm and put it in the mouth either. Absolutely, <laughs> yep. So, yes, he is going to take care of us and um, give he, us what we need, but we also have to. Yep take personal responsibility put in the work and yeah and, for sure yeah we have to do something yeah you know it's through his effort and his power and his you know spirit that we do it mm-hmm. but yeah you have to we have to i think the thing we have to do is have the faith that he is that god 
right? And then we can do all kinds of things. Absolutely. You know? and, and um, but if we're, the reason people don't do things is they feel hopeless, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think as people of faith, especially as Christians, you know, our hope is in Christ. I mean, we just celebrated Easter and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if we believe that that's true, then it should be shaping everything that we're doing. It should be shaping our actions, our behaviors, our ministries, you know, and whether we're doctors or, like I said, lawyers or whoever, we have ministries in our lives that we can be doing our part. And, you know, I think for me, too, one thing I constantly have to tell myself, it doesn't mean you're never going to, that faith is going to be unshakable all the time. Mm, I mean, no, definitely not. Lord, I have to, you know, sometimes monthly or weekly say, you know, hello, Mandy, did you forget that you have put all your, you know, your faith in God oh, and yeah. this little issue you've got to let go because it's going to work itself out and he's going to take care of it. And same thing with my um, kids. <laughs> I've talked to <laughs> patients about this quite frequently because they get so, and not that I don't get stressed out over my kids either. Lord, my best friend would tell you. <laughs> uh, but, and she's helped me with this too, like constantly coming back and saying, it is not our responsibility to make them into, you know, they're going to have their own choices. Oh yeah. And you can't worry about every little thing that they're going to end up doing. And are they going to be this? Are they going to be that? It's no, you put in the, the, for one, be a good example instead of telling them all the time what to do, you know, just be a good example of it. But putting in these foundational day in, day out, um, ideas and examples for them, and then they will take all that that you've done and well, with God's grace and um, guidance, then they'll become who they're going to be. And because when I try to worry about the whole big picture, it gets overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, again, it's the long game. It's, it's looking at it in the big picture and going, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the ne- next right thing. I'm going to do that. And then that's going to play out and, and have fruit long term. You know, and and that's the thing I'd encourage you, you know, in your practice is you're doing that. Yeah, and, and I appreciate your your guidance through this because it has been hard for me. I mean, yeah. I, I don't, yeah, it has not been, has not been, you know, a cakewalk or easy by any means. But, yeah, I think just one day at a time and yeah. building it slowly and having support and relationships is. Yeah, well, you're welcome. I mean, I, I believe in what you're doing. I think it's awesome. I think a lot of what we're doing is still super new, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we're doing really well and, you know, your business is going good and mine's going good, but what we're going to, you know, we're on the, in the culture that we're in right now, I, I hope that other people who are out there listening, who feel like there needs to be a change and they can do something different. Yeah. It's risky and it's nerve wracking and it, you know, it, it takes faith, but I think we're in the midst of a cultural shift in the next decade mm-hmm. and it's, you know, get on or get off the pot, you know, like what we're doing is not working. Right. And it's not working, you know, drastically worse. Our margin for error is very, very small compared to 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I mean, that margin is just slowly shrank up to nothing. And so that, that stinks. And like people ask me all the time, like, how's your business doing with COVID? I'm like, you know, but it's doing great because everybody's falling apart. I'm like, yeah, it is. Things are going well, you know, um, but that's sad, yeah. you know, like it's not well in the sense that I'm glad people are struggling. I'm glad we, they have a place to struggle, right? you know, and I'd say the same for you, like keep giving it some time because 
they're, the margin for error is too small and the need and the issues that people are having that are specific to them and not just a plug and play issue mm -hmm. is getting greater. And so there's more people who need people like you who can meet with them one-on-one, -on -one, who can spend the time, who can be intimate, and that's only going to increase. Right. So the people needing to come to you and, and get your services and, I mean, other doctor services just like you are going to only increase across the country. And so, you know, I hope that more people do what you're doing because the need is here. Yeah, I mean, I think just if you're just looking at America and, you know, the burden, the financial burden of our healthcare costs right now. Oh, it's obscene. Astronomical, and it's only going to rise. And, you know, dementia is going to be the next you know epidemic as the baby boomers are getting older and that's scary and yeah. you know it just diabetes is whew, so prevalent and and so all these different diseases if we don't make these huge cultural shifts yeah i don't i don't know what it's going to look like i mean we've got to yeah I think we have a choice for sure and what i would encourage people is is when you hear that it's scary but you the culture is made up of individuals and you're an individual and we're individuals. And mm -hmm. so shifting that culture is like impossible, but shifting individuals is not right. And so when we say shift a culture, what we mean is influencing people, educating people so that they can make tiny incremental changes that change everything. I mean, I see it every day. I see people come in divorce, you know, on the verge of divorce, addiction, trauma, can't drive, can't function. And, in, and have been that way for years and then in a very short amount of time are looking at me a year later or two years later laughing and being like I cannot believe that was my life I can't believe that was our marriage and they go on to have 30 or 40 mm. successful years but in the beginning of that first year the first week the first session it's like this is impossible right and I know it's the same way with you you know people are overweight or they have heart disease they have issues or have the beginnings of some issue and they're like, I can't change my family and all these things. Well, you can't. But what you can do is change incremental things at a time. And then in a year, things will be amazingly different. Absolutely. And yeah, that, I mean, I think that it's huge for people to realize just because, you know, you have that genetic um, foundation or that underpinnings, it's, you know, what we bathe our, our genes in and what we're exposing oh, it to all the time that really is going to call you know what we display um or what diseases we get oh yeah we have a lot more control over it than we think no for yeah. sure yeah you're not predestined you know you definitely are predisposed for things but you're not predestined for them right it's good stuff mm -hmm. what uh final thoughts this is great um I, I would say you know one big thing is um and i think we did touch on making it a priority i mean it's not gonna your health is not gonna change by itself um <laughs> yeah. And um, if you make it a priority, um, then you seek out those individuals who can help you make those changes. Um, but it starts with you and having the motivation and the, and the want to, the drive to make those changes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, a lot of these diseases are preventable. Um, we didn't get into the, you know, insulin resistance and um, prediabetes and diabetes and all these things, but um, I do a lot of... Uh, checking for diseases before they get here and we can make changes to keep you from developing these conditions. So, um, whether it's me or another doctor, just educate yourself and, um, make it a priority. Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
Yeah. So how could they get hooked up with you? Where can they find you? Um, so uh, my website, www.alignhealthdpc.com. So A-L-I-N-E, and then the word health, and then DPC, like directprimarycare.com. Um, there's a wealth of information on there. Um, there's a join now tab. So if you know you want to sign up, you just click on that tab that pulls you into my electronic health record and it has you input all your information. And then when you submit it, it sends me an email and we contact you about setting up an appointment. We, I do meet and greets. So if you just want to come check out the clinic and see what it's all about, see if it's a good fit, um, we can do that as well. You can just give us a call at 425-9003. Um, so the, those are the two main ways. And Awesome. Or they can call yeah, they your can call office. Here. Yeah, for sure. We send people all the time. Yeah, uh, one of the, I guess I can an- announce it on here, but, you know, one of the new things we're collaborating with is you doing some mental health prescription and stuff like that for anxiety and depression. So I'm super yeah, excited so I'm gonna about kinda that. Yeah, so I'm going to kind of offer a kind of an offshoot so you don't have to sign up for the full membership and um, just do lifestyle and medication management for anxiety and depression. So that's yeah. exciting. And yeah, be absolutely. Able to help. And one of the reasons I, like, you know, I'm okay with that and like it, you know, is because I've talked to you about that a bunch, like, if you are out there and you're going to your doctor, your primary doctor for mental health medication, and they're not sitting with you and spending any time with you or talking to you to a therapist, I highly, highly, highly recommend you do you shifting that and finding a therapist who knows your own medication, you know, doing work in therapy, because a lot of times medication is just symptom treatment and not, you know, root cause issues. And so absolutely. It's a piece yeah. of the treatment puzzle. It is not by itself going to, Yep. Treat the whole person. So, yeah, we utilize you guys and medication and lifestyle um, changes to, to kind of treat the whole person. It's awesome. Well, this is fun. I appreciate you doing it. Yeah, thanks for asking me. And, uh, yeah, no doubt. I made it through. You, <laughs> did, did, you? you did it. You did a great job. <laughs> if you're listening out there, yeah, check out Dr. Uh, Mandy Crow. Um, I was going to call you Mary as a joke, but that's an inside <laughs> joke. So, uh, you know, if, uh, if you're excited about this podcast subscribe listen to it we're on you know all the things so check us out um love you guys god bless you have a good week